We are recording this on May 21st at 11 a.m. So by the time you hear this, the Flames and the Oilers are secretly devising an evil plan to be the highest scoring playoff series in NHL history. Hello and welcome to the Battle of Alberta podcast, the podcast that has one Oilers fan and one Flames fan who are seriously testing their friendship right now. <laughs> I am Darren Plett, the Flames fan, along with Stuart Jones, the Oilers fan. Hello, Stu, which is a weird thing to say because we hung out and watched the game last night and now you're actually in the same room as me. I know, yeah, we're recording this in person for the first time in I don't know how many years. <laughs> this does feel odd. It has been a long time, staring deeply into each other's eyes Yes, as we talk about our rival <laughs> <Yeah>. hockey teams <laughs> after the game last night, which I assume makes me more upset than it made you. Well, I'm still also have residual upsetness from game one, so <laughs> we're equally frazzled now. Fair enough. So I guess we have to go over our scorecard, which will be a little bit shorter. We can just do an update on how they're looking for us. Uh, I can tell you as a closeted Rangers fan that they are not winning their <laughs> series. So our predictions are going well for that. I believe Carolina is up 2 nothing, and yes. I believe we both predicted Carolina. Yes, and Tampa, Florida, not going hot for Tampa, or for Florida, rather. <laughs> Tampa's doing great, going home up to nothing. Yeah, uh, and that was both, again, what we predicted. Tampa would be winning that, yeah, I believe. So. I mean, I picked in seven, so yeah, I, that, I still don't think Florida's going to get swept, but I don't think it's going <laughs> to be seven anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, true, true. And, and then, I guess, Colorado, St. Louis, I believe they're tied at one. Yeah, and I think that one's looking probably the most promising for us besides the Battle of Alberta, just because St. Louis looks good. Like, they don't look like they're going to roll over. Yeah. They really handed it to Colorado in the last game. So, that if that keeps going like this, it could make us look smart, If because St. Louis could very well take it to seven, and I think we both kind of called them underrated and overshadowed and said... This could be the surprise series, so that's the one where we hedged our bets, at least. Yeah, I was going to say, well, we both did predict Colorado to win it. Yeah. But we also both said that this is the one we're most likely wrong about, so I guess, does that mean that's, we'd be right? Yeah, that's something, right? <laughs> okay. We didn't say that about the other ones. We picked that one specifically. Yeah, so all right, I'll take it. I think it's fair. Most right about being wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Should be our motto, frankly. Yes. Well, we have a ton to talk about, about our playoff series us being albertans we uh, can take full credit for these games i'm sure oh, yes uh i think it's probably too easy to just talk about game two since it happened relatively recently so let's get into game one before we forget everything that happened fair um, enough you got some you got some notes you want to hit about game one? Oh yes i have so much <laughs> notes here uh basically game one like obviously hugely high scoring crazy game crazy stressful for every single albertan possibly canadian watching that game um for those who missed it it ended up being a 15 goal game a nine to six finish for the flames yep. <laughs> which is uh absolutely insane uh flames scored their first three goals in the first i think it was two minutes maybe three minutes it wasn't long before Mike Smith got chased out of the net, let's <laughs> yeah. put it that way. First goal was on the first shot. Second goal was, I think, on the third shot, but like 40 seconds later or yes. something like that. And yeah, third goal didn't come much later than that. Mike Smith got chased. 
And uh, that did not change the game after the goalie change, which is supposed to be what happens. Yeah. You know, it's uh, an interesting night when the goalie that got pulled allowed the fewest goals in the game. <laughs> right. Of all three goalies. <laughs> of, all, that of all three goalies. <laughs> yeah. Flames went up significantly. Oilers ended up coming back to tie it up at six apiece, which is crazy enough as it is. Uh, but then the Flames took it away again. Honestly, I'm surprised the Oilers did as well as they did. I don't even know if I can say that sentence because <laughs> yeah. they didn't do well, but I'm surprised. I can't even say this sentence. I'm surprised they made it as close as they did, but it was still a nine, six game. So that's not exactly close. <laughs> My point is the Oilers had definitely no business winning that game. If they did come back and win it. And I don't think they had any business even tying it up as they did. Honestly, the flames were definitely the number one team in that game. They outperformed the Oilers all the way throughout. They outshot the Oilers significantly. Uh, yeah, the Oilers got lucky with, uh, well, got unlucky with two of their goalies being <laughs> yeah. Swiss cheese goalies, but also got lucky with Markstrom being a Swiss cheese goalie. So I don't know. I guess it's a wash, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the Oilers did not deserve even six goals in that game. Um, the Flames played much better throughout, and I was very worried after that game because I knew that the goalies sort of crapping the bed as they did probably wouldn't keep going, although we'll get to that in game two. But uh, if the same style had happened, if if it was the same game played in game two that was in game one uh, and the goalies, you know, performed like professional goaltenders, <laughs> then the Flames would handily take this series if that was the style of game that was going to be played. The Oilers were not playing their game. They were playing the flame style of game and the flames were playing the flame. Well, <laughs> you want to rethink that? <laughs> if, if it you, ends up nine, six, it's okay. not the flame style. Let me put a, let me put a caveat. If you don't look at the score, it uh. looked like the flames were playing their style of game and the Oilers were trying to compete with that. And that would not have worked for the Oilers long-term. It didn't even work for them short-term. So I was very afraid going into game two and uh, and going into the rest of the series because, yeah, I thought maybe that game two, again, might be very similar without the Swiss cheese goaltending, you know, a bit lower scoring. Um, and then maybe the Oilers would have some chance at home. But I, I did not like the look of the series based on game one. Uh, but yeah, game two happened and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that was sort of my take on game one. I, I enjoyed all the goals. It was fun. I enjoyed Edmonton coming back to tie it up. I was totally ready to, you know, message you when when the Oilers <laughs> took the lead and be like, oh, yeah, how's that? But I did not get that opportunity. They did not have a single lead in that game, despite all the scoring. But, yeah, that was my take on game one. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was a roller coaster. Uh, I also did not particularly enjoy the Flames play. It was just really loose yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take the opposite view of you like you said they played the flames game not really at least not how they <laughs> want to play right like they did True. the the offense did well in that game obviously and they got a lot of help from mike smith and some poor oilers defense but that's still not how they want to play because they they let a lot of stuff happen in their own zone mm. and yes markstrom was bad and made me look like an idiot for you know calling him so stable and steady and everything and he gave up some horrible goals, um, which definitely made it look worse than it was. But, I mean, the fact is still that the Flames were giving up 
scoring chances to guys that were just wide open. Zach Hyman's goals, he had all the time in the world to just pick his spot and shoot, even though I think Markstrom should have saved them. Mm. You, should, you still shouldn't let a guy just like stand around and shoot from wherever he wants, basically. Right. So I wasn't super impressed with how the Flames played in game one. I was... But, you know, outside of the first three minutes where they look like world beaters, um, that is not how they want to play. I'm sure Daryl Sutter will comment a lot on how that is absolutely not how he wants them to play at all because he likes defense and there has been zero defense so far. So, yeah, but, you know, outside of that and in hindsight... Very enjoyable game to watch and ridiculous. <laughs> At the time, it was such an up-and-down experience. Like he said, you know, the Flames fans in our chat started at the beginning. We were trying to rein it in, but we were still <laughs> like, oh, look at this. So oh, how do you feel now? He's sending some gifts, and then it got to 6-6, and it was more like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and I feel like this series is just going to be close no matter what the score is, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what we said from the beginning, too. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, the Flames were up 5-1, and I was feeling good, and the Oilers made it 5-2, and I was not feeling good. Like, it's still a three-goal lead, and I was like, no, 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 no. This is bad. So that's how this series is going to be. No team is ever going to be out of it, regardless of what the score is, even though I think... It might be more so for the Oilers if they're down, because obviously McDavid and Dreisaitl. <laughs> but still, I mean, the Flames have shown they can score plenty in this series, too. So even if they're down by a few, it's not like they're out of it. If you were down by two in the Dallas series, game was over, pack up and go <laughs> home. But this series, completely different animal. Yeah, whoever said that a two-goal lead is the worst lead in hockey has never watched the Oilers and Flames play because two goals, that's not... Yeah, it's more than that. That's still the worst lead in hockey. Yeah, I, I had some fun stats from game one. Um, some that make us look kind of dumb. Like, for instance, the Oilers were zero, to, zero for four on the power play. Yeah. Which is odd. <laughs> you know, I kind of said that that would be the most difficult thing to overcome, but the Oilers' power play... Hasn't been all that dangerous yet. Um, some stats tying it back to the Stars series. The time to two goals against the Stars for the Flames was one hour and 33 minutes. And the time to two goals against the Oilers was 51 seconds. <laughs> so the Flames scored nine goals in the Dallas series by game five. And they did it against the Oilers in game one. <laughs> so that's just... You know, that's what the differences between those two series look like for Flames fans. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and, you know, I, I do want to, I guess, clarify what I say about the, you know, Flames-style game and the Oilers-style game. I definitely acknowledge that is not on the defensive side. And that's because I ignored the defensive side of the game because both teams ignored the defensive <laughs> yeah. side of the game. Offensively speaking, though, I think that was the, the Flames-style just like pucks to the net just power uh just force just pressure uh just do it do it do it whereas the oilers try to do a bit more you know speed off the rush fancy dangles power plays which again as you noted was absolutely terrible that game yeah um so yeah again offensively i think that was a flame style of game defensively 
we can't even talk about because <laughs> yeah. it was non-existent. <laughs> yeah, no. In that sense, you're definitely right. Because the Flames, yeah, they pour on shots. They forecheck really hard to try to get possession back. And there was a lot of goals like that where the Flames forechecked, pick, picked a pocket like superstar Brett Ritchie. <laughs> you know, that's how his goals have happened is he just hits somebody, takes the puck and scores. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. And the Oilers like to wind it up on uh, on odd man rushes and jump the zone and try to get transition rushes, which, you know, fits fits their players. So, yeah, definitely, definitely offensively. That's the game plan for both teams. So both teams coaches are definitely saying, you know, forget offense <laughs> and are screaming about the defense of their teams right now. Yeah. And I guess that's probably a good segue to game two. Mm-hmm. How the Oilers started to play Oilers style offense and, uh, you know, had a lot of uh, rushes for sure. A couple breakaway goals. Uh, the Oilers were a better team in game two than they were in game one. And luckily for Oilers fans, the Flames were a worse team in game two than game one. I can't just like, you know, brag about, oh, the Oilers were so much better. They know how to play hockey. They're going to win now. No, the Flames did not play very well, again, defensively in game two. So that was definitely a factor. It's not like they're going to be all that easy um, going forward. But it was definitely a better Oiler team as well. Um, I think they got maybe one power play goal. Their power play looked better. Uh, statistically, not much better, <laughs> but it looked better. And uh, But yeah, again, using that off the rush, uh, lots of breakaways, things like that. Taking advantage, you know, uh, any time of the day, any any game you come to, the other team can fall apart defensively. And that was fortunate for Oilers fans that that happened to the Flames a few times last night. But uh, you still have to take advantage of that. And the Oilers know how to take advantage of that. And they, and they definitely did. But yeah, different game for sure. Uh, only eight goals total. <laughs> much, much less. <laughs> weak, out, weak effort. Yeah, right it was there. so slow pace. <laughs> not a t- no, just obviously that is still a high scoring game end up being a uh, 5-3 win for the Oilers. So they did tie up the series to take it back to Edmonton. But yeah, definitely a different game overall, but not all that different. There was still a lot of similarities and it still seems like, well, this is probably what the series is going to look like. I think the biggest difference was the amount of times on special teams Mm. really changed the entire game because the Flames spent most of the second period in the box down a man. And that changes a lot of things because your penalty killers get tired. The Flames couldn't put out their top line nearly as much because uh, Gaudreau and Kachuk don't penalty kill. Um, and the Oilers had a ton of sustained zone time because they were either on the power play or the Flames were scrambling trying to get uh, like lines out there with guys that aren't penalty killers. And then they would just take another penalty and then they'd <laughs> go right back on the penalty kill. So like... That really messed up their game, and that's not like, a, oh, the refs suck. Like, the, the Flames took a lot of stupid penalties. Yeah. And the refs had a rough game, too, but it wasn't... I don't think it was really tilted to a certain team. It yeah. was just they were making a lot of odd calls both ways. Yeah. Um. So the Flames obviously need to stop taking penalties because that is what ultimately sunk them the most. Um. Like you said, they, just, they looked way worse in general. 
which they did. Their defense, I think, got exploited a lot. And I think one thing I was noticing was that maybe their defense was trying to be too aggressive. I think they were trying to go for goals because they're like, oh, like we can score so many goals against this Oilers team. And I noticed a lot of bad pinches and a lot of bad reads that would just leave an oiler mm. wide open on a two-on-one or a breakaway. Like, Dreisaitl's got a bum ankle, and the dude's getting away on a breakaway, and he's <laughs> not the fastest guy to begin with. So something's going really wrong there. Um, like, a lot of defensemen falling over, just, like, boneheaded plays that just make you smack your forehead. Like, what are you guys doing? So, yeah, that's not the typical Flames, but it happened last night in a playoff game, so they... I don't know if you'd call it giving away the game, but they essentially gave the Oilers their best chance to win by doing that. So if if they want to keep winning, that that can't happen because mm-hmm. that's pretty much, I think, the type of game that sets the Oilers up for success the most when your defensemen are making bad reads and basically handing the Oilers transition opportunities and power plays. That sounds like a recipe for success <laughs> for Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose we should, again, talk about goaltending because it's still a factor. Um, Despite the fact that Mike Smith got yanked uh, early on in Game 1, as we already noted, Koskinen ended up letting in twice as many goals as Mike Smith did in the remainder of the game. So that meant Mike Smith was starting again in Game (laughs) 2, which honestly, I was kind of happy with that result because... I, you know, I I feel like I talked about this on our last episode. I understand that Mike Smith has the capability to fall apart in absolute chaos. And he definitely did at the beginning of game one. But I still would rather him start over Koskinen. I think he still has the higher potential when things are going right for him. Things go really well. Um, But that's that's a big if. I don't know if I said if in that (laughs) sentence, but it's implied and it's a big one. So, you know, I I was glad to see Mike Smith start. It was a very similar start, although a little bit more delayed than game one, where there were two easy goals pretty early on. Mike Smith just floundering in the crease, <laughs> yeah. not sure what was happening. So it was a little worrying to see that. But this time he did not let in that third easy goal and he kind of stopped it there on. Yeah, he let in another one later on, but uh, I think he was much better. Uh, once he got the whole game to prove himself. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that he's not going to fall apart again. This is just what Mike Smith does. He falls apart and then he picks himself up occasionally. So on on the other end, obviously, Markstrom was not as consistent either. Yeah, more of these goals this game as compared to game one were he got left alone, as we've already discussed, huge breakaways. Um, and off the rush, but uh, yeah, still not what we expected from him as far as like goals against based on previous series. Yeah, I would like to see more out of him, but it's always hard to blame a goalie on a breakaway or something. You expect yeah. you expect them to steal one or two, and I think he did. Yeah, like he it could have been worse, and um, so uh, yeah, it's not on him. I would blame no. the defense ten times out of ten for that game and for Mike Smith. He was obviously better, but I also don't think the Flames tested him that much outside mm. of the three goals that they got. So I don't I wouldn't if I was an Oilers fan, I wouldn't be too heartened by like right. his performance because the Flames in the second and third period really didn't do much. He made some good saves, um but it they definitely weren't as many dangerous chances as there were earlier on. So I'd still be 
I'm still hopeful as a Flames fan that he's, <laughs> he hasn't really turned it on in my eyes. Yeah. His team did, and the Flames floundered, but I think where Mike Smith is at is still very much up for debate in this series, and if the Flames can do the same thing and jump all over the Oilers at the beginning of the next game, then I, you know... I don't have faith that Smith would stonewall them, but as we've said, who like it's completely Jekyll and Hyde. So who, like, yeah. why are we even bothering trying to figure <laughs> yeah. it out? True enough. <laughs> why are we trying to assess True this? Enough. But yeah, I, I totally agree. He did step up a little bit, but he's I I agree. I did not see Mike Smith's you know stonewall, uh, which you know believe it or not uh, you do see occasionally. <laughs> yeah. But no, I have not seen that yet. Um, he did better, but he's still not like the best that Mike Smith can be. He's not and out of the woods yet. Yeah, and that's yeah. because that's not a super common thing. It just happens occasionally. So yeah. I would like to see that happen this series because that would really come in handy. Um, but yeah, who knows what we're gonna, which Mike Smith we're gonna get in Game Three and onward. I would almost prefer that because the Flames seem to reflect who they're playing. Mm. especially after watching the first two games of this series because they played Dallas and it felt like, oh, yeah, the Flames are this locked down, you know, grinded out identity team that Sutter's been working on. We finally figured it out. But maybe it was just that that's Dallas's identity and Calgary did it better than them mm. in the series. And now they're playing against Edmonton and the first game was 9-6. That's clearly not a defensively oriented team. They look nothing like the team that played against Dallas and Markstrom looked nothing like the goalie that played against Jake Ottinger. So it, it kind of feels to me like Calgary lets the other team dictate what's going to happen. And then they respond mm -hmm. and try to respond like they're better. And sometimes that works great. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't. And I think probably what Sutter's preaching and what I would like to see is the flames do their thing mm -hmm. well and not let the other team pick what it's going to be like they just seem to play up or down to their opponent or across to their opponent i don't know if you can consider it up or down in this series <laughs> like dallas was behind them in the standings and they played up to dallas yeah I, like i don't know <laughs> how to call that but I, yeah i think the flames are just playing the way other teams want them to and they're good enough to at everything to win games like that but i wouldn't say the flames are playing their own identity uh, especially in this series. We don't really have predictions. We've already made the predictions for the series, all of the series overall. But any thoughts going into game three or four? What's What could possibly happen? <laughs> Anything could possibly happen. Like, this yeah. hasn't helped my predictions at all. Like, I still will stick with my... I'm not going to change it, like, Flames and oh, Six. Yeah. But I don't have any clue how we're going to get there. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think it will remain roughly the same. Yeah. The goals might go down a little bit if the if the Flames especially listen to what their coaches are trying to tell them, I assume. But I just think that McDavid is off his rocker right now and is dragging the corpse of the rest of his team. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, Oilers, the rest of the Oilers played better last night. Yeah. Um, there wasn't as much dragging, but he's still going supernova and and doing pretty much everything for them. Um, and I don't think that will stop. I don't think the Flames' defense is particularly good at stopping McDavid. I think they can stop the rest of the Oilers' team and hope that they can outscore McDavid, which is probably their path to success, as weird as it is to say. 
I think the loss of Chris Tanev is super underestimated mm-hmm. for the Flames. Uh, he helps a lot of things. And although Mike Stone's been very good in his stead, I think that Chris Tanev wouldn't shut down McDavid, but he would be a big help because mm-hmm. he's a really, really good penalty killer. And he's just that guy with the good stick that pokes pucks away and makes a lot of good plays. And I think that the Flames defense is missing him a lot. So with all that being said, I think it will remain high scoring, probably not 9-6 high scoring. (laughs) And I think both teams will kind of settle in a little bit more. But I think it's going to be roughly like last game. Um, Hopefully the Flames will pick up their socks. But the scores are going to look like that, regardless of how how messy the teams look yeah yeah i think um i think home ice uh, at least in the first game was a was a huge factor for the flames getting those two early goals three early goals however many it was (laughs) three early goals on home ice that like that atmosphere that crowd like obviously both of these fan bases have been waiting for this for 30 years you know, I think that was a huge factor in game one. I think that's going to be a huge factor in game three, too. I think the Oilers are going to have a lot of energy from that. Um, obviously, the Oilers responded in game two, and I think it's going to be very similar in game four. So I, I do think the Oilers are going to have a boost from that in game three going home for the first time this series. Uh, whether that means that they'll take the win or not, I don't know. But that's going to make a huge difference. It's going to be a huge energy boost for them. Uh, and then the, the Flames are going to sort of, you know, chop that down a little bit in game four. I think we're going to see a similar sort of dichotomy um, in those two games in Edmonton. And then, of course, you know, we start to flip around again back and forth and who knows where it goes from there. But I do think that's going to be a factor. But again, I can't say that's going to be predictive of results by any stretch, because, again, Part of it's going to come down to, you know, the goaltending we see, which Mike Smith we will see. Um, yeah, does Connor McDavid continue his ridiculous streak that he's on right now? I think penalties are big. If the Flames can yeah. stay out of the box, even though the Oilers' power play isn't clicking that well. You don't want to take it, that chance. You still don't want to take the chance, and you still don't want to burn all your penalty killers out trying to stop that power play. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if... If they stay out of the box, I love their chances so much better. <laughs> yeah, especially since, like you said, the, the Oilers' power play is not looking nearly as good as it has been. But we all know the potential of the yeah. Oilers' power play. So, like, do you really, like, you poke the bear once and you got away. Do you want to poke it again? Like, eventually, that you know, like they're going to remember, oh, yeah, I remember how to do it. Like, I saw glimpses of it in last night's game. Again, their power play... I think they only got one out of five or something. Seven. Seven? Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) They only got one goal out of seven or whatever that stat was. Like, statistically, it didn't look that great, but their power play did look better. So I saw glimpses of it. So do you really want to keep giving them that practice so that eventually they remember, oh, yeah, we know how to do power plays, and this is how, so... Yeah, you, you even if the power play is not working right now, you don't want to keep taking those penalties. And for the reason, the other reason you said of just draining the penalty killers, not getting your top line out, that's a huge thing. Yeah, they've poked the bear roughly 10 times and the bear <laughs> cracked an eye last game. So you yeah. might want to stop at this point. <laughs> now it is time for Sellies and Scorns. 
Um, I'm going to start us off because I just have two of each, which I just realized now. Like I made some <laughs> earlier and then I thought I didn't have any, so I made more and I like them all. So I'm going to... All right, go for it. Yeah, I'm going to use them. Uh, I'm going to start with my Sellies. One is for Kevin Bieksa, alarmingly. I think I've sellied him <laughs> before, but he's just so good and funny. So uh, I got to sell him again. And it's something he slipped in on the panel that I don't know if anybody really caught notice of, but I really appreciated. And that is that the panel was busy talking up McDavid as they do. And Ron McLean was reciting poetry about McDavid, which is just awful. And Kevin Bieksa said, yeah, I think Connor McDavid is the best offensive player in the world. Mm. And they just kept going. And I don't think anybody caught the offensive in there. And I literally sat in my living room and clapped. <laughs> I was like, good job, because I agree with that mm -hmm. very wholeheartedly. I have a hard time saying Connor McDavid is the best player in the world. And a lot of people say that. And it's hard to argue that. But I don't think it's necessarily true. And it's hard to quantify because defense is hard to quantify. Right. And he doesn't like we've talked about this before. I think his defense is... Not great. You've shown things saying that it had improved a lot. Yeah. But I still don't think it's mm -hmm. that good. And I still think it's enough that it holds him back from being the best player in the world. And I know there's game score value statistics and wins above replacement and stuff that will say he is the best player. But that's because of how offensively good he is. Yeah. <laughs> like he is crazy offensively. So... I, I just wanted to applaud Bieksa for saying that. Like in the first in the first game, McDavid had four even strength points and he was a minus one, mm. which means he was on the ice for five goals against. If you get four points in a playoff game, you're a very good offensive player. <laughs> but you gotta do a little more to stop yeah. the goals against. So yeah, props to Bieksa for slipping that in there. <laughs> I, I very much agree with that statement. And my other Sally is gonna be shorter. Uh, it's for Mike Stone of the flames because he's drawn in as a seventh defenseman and done really well. And the dude only played 11 regular season games this year. And he's already got four points in six playoff games, including two goals. And he just makes me laugh because he just goes out there and his mentality is if the puck comes to me, I'm going to slap shot it at the net every <laughs> time. And it sounds dumb, but he's got a great slap shot and it works. And mm -hmm. He doesn't make dumb plays with it. He's not shooting it into shim pads. He's getting it to the net. And that's a huge boost for the team. Um, the guy was bought out by the Flames in 2019. And then they re-signed him a month later for the minimum. And he's basically sat in the press box eating popcorn until somebody gets injured. And they're like, oh, yeah, can you play two games? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he does well. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't look rusty at all. It's amazing. So, yeah, big Sally for Mike Stone for being a professional and dealing with a weird situation that he seems totally comfortable with. Yeah, because you think in that situation, not being, you know, in the press box all the time, you know, a lot of players have to deal with that. But in the, how often do you get bought out and then re-signed yeah. at minimum? Like, like, he could have a lot of bitterness and resentment about that and, like, really just not play that well and just kind of like do his job but no he's really stepped up yeah the fact that you resign for minimum after being bought out says that you didn't really care about being bought out that much so it's pretty impressive yeah yeah my silly is actually also for a calgary flame wow. player or okay. and the and the flames in general uh it's for matthew kachuk believe it or not uh, and, what is uh, happening? Uh, yeah, mm, excuse me. It's, it's hard to even say that sentence, but uh, 
Uh, Oilers fans are probably familiar with uh, what I'm going to refer to, and in fact, Flames fans are as well. Uh, it's about uh, Ben Stel- Stelter. It's about Ben Stelter, uh, who is a huge Edmonton Oilers fan. Uh, he's a five-year-old battling brain cancer, and uh, he's a huge fan of the Oilers, and the Oilers organization noticed this and have really been, you know, coming alongside him and uh, bringing him to games and cheering him on while he cheers them on. Uh, I believe they made like a a hockey card of him too with his Oilers jersey, which is so cool. So uh, obviously props on the Oilers organization for doing this stuff for a kid, which is just awesome. He uh, basically, (laughs) you know, you know, said... Uh, on social media that obviously he's cheering for the Oilers. He's a huge Oilers fan. He hates Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> I don't know if hate was the word he used, but he said something mildly disparaging about Matthew Kachuk. He's a five-year-old, so it wasn't like, you know, too crazy. <laughs> but Matthew Kachuk really sort of stepped up, showed some class, and uh, essentially said, you know, we know you're cheering for the the orange and blue, but uh, the sea of red is cheering for you. So uh, I thought that was really cool, um, really weird for me to be talking about how good of a person Matthew Kachuk is. Uh, But, you know, obviously we're all humans as are even the players you think you hate, you know, they're all human beings. Um, There might be a couple exclusions in there, but (laughs) most of them are human beings, good people. And I thought that was really cool to see uh, like right in the midst of this rivalry, they could have just ignored it, done nothing, maybe done something in the off season, but like right in the middle of the rivalry, uh, they, he stepped up and said like, Hey, all the power to you. You cheer for whoever you want, but I got your back. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is cool. I think a lot of NHL fans are very confused right now with how lovable (laughs) the Kachucks are. They have very (laughs) conflicted feelings about it. It's okay. Uh, I'm sure they're good people off the ice. You can hate them on the ice. I get it. But, uh, yeah, that is a class act. I'm going to go with my scorns, which fortunately are very lighthearted this time. I went for lighthearted <laughs> scorns. Uh, the first one is I'm fairly certain I heard a We Want 10 chant from the Flames fans when they were up 4-1 and 5-2 in the second period. Do not do that. Right? That is a hor- I heard that. Yeah. And some people on social media were contending that it was a We Want Smith chant after he got pulled. I didn't That's sound not what I, I heard. Didn't yeah. sound, people at the game were saying that. I, there was definitely people saying ten, and yep. say that with a minute left when you're up by five. People don't say <laughs> it at the beginning of the game. That was horrible. And if we would have lost that, it would have been all your fault. That is how superstition works. Yeah. So just I could have sworn I heard the we want ten yeah. at like two nothing. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Okay. Granted, at the rate you were going, you would have had sixty. <laughs> But that's, but yeah, to chant we want ten at that point is like all right, yeah, uh, yeah that like was, that was terrible. That's asking for trouble. Figure out a good chant for Mike Smith. Like you, we had Richie's ugly. You know, figure something out, people. <laughs> it's, Mike Smith's ugly's right there for you. Just not we want ten. And my other scorn is the Flames and their curses. I'm sure lots of other sports teams have, you know, curses, and we've heard of some famous ones. But the Flames seem to have the most curses at once. <laughs> Um, you think about the Honda Center curse, which is thankfully over now, but they lost 29 games in a row in Anaheim over the course of 13 years. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? Then their opening game curse, they have lost 
11 or 12 opening games in a row since 2009, which is tied for the longest in professional sports. <laughs> they just can't win the first game of the season anymore. And now, I'm not sure if many people are aware of this one, they have a Game 2 curse going. Oh. If you weren't aware, uh, they haven't won a Game 2 since 2004. That's seven Game 2s in a row that they've just lost. What is going on? Can you, like... I'm sure they don't dwell on these curses. Maybe the Anaheim one that got in their heads because that one came up so often. But they can't know about the Game 2 curse. I don't think that that's one they're thinking about. And yet it just happens. So that's an actual curse. Like, something is going on with the Flames. They just get cursed repeatedly. And I don't like it. So... I don't know what my scorn is, if it's for them or for bad juju or something, <laughs> but I would just like it to stop, please. Well, this would explain so much about how all the Flames fans, maybe not all the Flames fans, but a small, loud group of Flames fans are trying so hard to curse the opposite team. Yeah. Saw a lot of that with Dallas in the first series trying to curse Odinger. There's a lot of weird stuff going on the internet, <laughs> these symbols. I don't know what that was about. Starting to see it now in round two on McDavid. Again, I'm not really sure what see. Like, I mean, there's some black magic witchcraft going there's on There's some here, dark but... arts in the Saddle Dome, and we are trying to turn it around <laughs> and project it onto everyone else. We need to embrace it. I, I can see why they're thinking this works now based on how many curses they feel they have <laughs> exactly. on their own. Exactly. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Well, my scorn is... Uh, Kind of a bit of a selly on something, but it's a scorn on the people who have a problem with the refing in the playoffs this year. And I'm not specifically talking about last night's game because last night's game had some issues. There were definitely some <laughs> yeah. weird calls in that. But my scorn is on the people who've had a problem with the refs calling the game by the rule book. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's such a yeah. weird sentence. Why do we have a problem with referees? doing their job it's like everyone is just so set in this way of like it's the playoffs you put your whistle away you let them play no the rules are there for a reason I've, I've never understood the whole animosity against playing it by the book people say oh if you truly play you know if you truly ref a game by the book it'll slow the game down it'll stop it dead well, it might for a little bit, but eventually these players are not idiots. They know what they can get away with, so they're getting away with it. Once the refs start calling it by the book, they're going to be like, oh, I should probably stop doing this stuff. <laughs> and then we'll just go to pure hockey instead of this, you know, hacking and slashing and doing whatever you can get away with, because I know I can get away with it. If you play it by the book, uh, we're going to have better hockey in the long run. Yeah, it might take an adjustment period, but I've appreciated how these playoffs have not been significantly different from the regular season. Because I've never understood the let them play, put the whistles away. Like, then why are you there? Yeah. <laughs> what is your job then? <laughs> like, I'm not saying I don't, you know, enjoy the players with their passion and, you know, getting up in each other's faces. But like, for the most part, keep it between the whistles, play your best hockey, show them that you're the better player through, you know, playing hockey as opposed to through how better you can chirp their mama and uh, whatever. <laughs> so anyways, I've enjoyed seeing the games um, called normally, I guess, for lack of a better word. And uh, it, it really annoys me when, you know, you see coaches and commentators like rolling their eyes and saying like, oh, the coach is mad because he actually called that a penalty. Well, it's because it was a penalty. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, yeah. And maybe there's a little bias in me because, again, the Oilers are supposed to be very good on the power play. So maybe I want to see those penalties called. But, you know, every every fan loves to see their team get away with penalties until the other team also gets away with it. And suddenly they're like, where's the ref? Why aren't you blowing your whistle? (laughs) That's a a call. (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, the worst the worst I've seen so far is on in regards to those disallowed goals last night. Mm. You can't you, well, apparently people could argue it, but <laughs> you and I were saying as the game happened, well, you can't be mad at that because it went exactly the same way for both teams. Yeah. You know, the refs didn't screw anyone over. But then I made the mistake of going on the internet and you know, <laughs> every fan thought they were the ones being screwed over and they had uh, essays written up, theses on the- thesi. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, on how their team was the one that should have had the goal allowed, and the other one was clearly a disallowed <laughs> goal. And I, I just shut my computer off and went to bed because I was like, "This is the dumbest thing I've ever read in my entire life." Yeah, and it was from a Flames fan point of view. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Oh, Mike Smith didn't have the puck covered, but Markstrom clearly did. <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> What feed are you watching, dude? But yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm glad they've picked up a, like a few more things to actually call. I still don't think it's all the way there yet. But no. more blatant things like slashes and cross checks, especially, um, and interference, one of which actually more or less decided the series in Toronto. Uh, a pick was called there, like an actual interference pick, which I think in maybe in previous playoffs would not have been called mm-hmm. because, oh, it's just rough and tumble hockey. But, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I'm glad things are being called a little more squarely. Yeah, and, like, I shouldn't just say that the reason it should be called squarely is because it's in the rules. And, like, that's not the only reason. The reason is it's because these rules are there for the safety of the players. Like, yeah. you know, people get hurt when... We, you know, we've both seen how Goudreau and McDavid get hacked to no <laughs> yep. degree because they're so good at hockey. The only defense is just Hit just them. whacking yeah. them with your stick Hit as much as stick. possible. We've seen broken fingers and blood and all this from these things that are not being called, uh, you know, cross checking uh, interference when, you know, guys aren't shouldn't have to be paying attention to trains coming at them. And, (laughs) you know, like these are there for the safety of the players. Again, taking it back to the Sally on Kachuk, like these are human beings. (laughs) I know they are there for our entertainment. We pay them gobs of money so that we can like chant for their death, like in a gladiator (laughs) ring or something. But like they're human beings. Let's, you know, let's have some rules so that they can be relatively safe. And then, Play better hockey, too. It's a win-win for everybody, so let's just appreciate that, shall we? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Battle of Alberta podcast. We'll be back after another couple games with another episode, and you can catch further episodes at www.thebattleofalbertapodcast.com or wherever else you find our podcast. Once again, you can email us, if you need old episodes and, uh, you know, again, fan mail, nice messages or hateful messages or something like that. <laughs> we'll take any messages at this point. Yeah. Um, so thank you once again for listening to us and supporting us. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Yeah.